this is Talking Sports with Evan, an NBA playoff edition of Talking Sports with Evan as the NBA playoffs are finally here. 82-game uh, season, 82-game season. Uh, lots have happened over these past 82 games. I don't think every team played 82 games, if I'm not mistaken, because of COVID issues. But here we are, playoffs start uh, Sunday for the Milwaukee Bucks, and I figured it'd be a great time to – Bring on my guest, talks in Milwaukee Bucks, uh, Tristan Thomas, and uh, appreciate you uh, coming on and spending some time here talking NBA playoffs and Bucks, and uh, probably talk a little Packers too before we go. Well, you know we got to get that in there. So some things yeah. happening, but it's great to be here. Always good to chop it up with you, and always excited about time and defending champions, trying to go another crown. Yeah, defending champions that still has that special ring to it, and. Never thought Doesn't that it? I would see the day that we would see be talking defending champion Milwaukee Bucks. And part of that is because of what happened uh, back in 2014, right around this time. Um, I was asking you about it before the show uh, a little bit. But what happened back in 2014 for the Milwaukee Bucks? New ownership. Herb Gold yeah. sold to current ownership. And they pretty yeah. much doubled on what doubled their investment? <laughs> it was like five hundred and fifty yeah. million, which was one of the biggest numbers for a team sold. And now it's like the books are worth over a billion dollars. Who would have thought? It def- definitely was a bargain. And I remember hearing the story that um, I forget which owner it is. I don't know if it's Lazarus or Edens, but after buying the bucks, there he's walking around uh, some like a store in Milwaukee, and he can't find any bucks gear. And now you can't walk in a store anywhere yeah. in southeastern Wisconsin. You can go to street corners, and you're going to find Bucks gear. So, you know, I think that was the day the championship um, started. That plant started to develop, and it started to develop with, you know, we, we're not playing third fiddle anymore when it comes to professional sports here in Wisconsin. You know, Packers obviously have top filling, and then you got Brewers, and, you know, then eh, I guess the Bucks they make the playoffs, and – whatnot as the eighth seed but they had a vision and a plan and now we get to talk about the defending nba champion milwaukee bucks yeah kudos to them for laying a championship foundation and not just changing everything within the building and within that locker room but changing the mindset of the entire state of wisconsin uh, it, it was uh it, it really called for different levels of change uh for this to be a championship organization and they got there, and now they're determined to stay there. So we'll see what happens this playoffs. Yeah, and they they didn't they didn't do it without their their mistakes, which we're not going to get into. Uh, but they did it, <laughs> and now the Bucks are taking on the Chicago Bulls in the first round. And it's kind of you know things have changed since the last time the Bucks and the Bulls played in the playoffs. I remember watching that that embarrassing Game Six on TV where Giannis thought he was playing football for a moment and uh, tackled, uh, <laughs> I forget who he tackled. I know he played for the Bucks shortly after. No, Dunleavy. It was a, Dunleavy. It was, yeah, I, I got him confused with Kyle Culver. But anyway, tackles Dunleavy, gets ejected, and the Bucks bow out of the playoffs in six games. Uh, you know, that's the last time the Bucks played the Bulls, where now the this time the Bucks are the dominant team. And, you know, that Bulls team probably should have won a championship, I feel. Um, oh, yeah. Derek carrying his ACL kind of ruined that. And Tom Thibodeau leaving him in in a meaningless game kind of closed the Bulls' window. And now it, the roles are reversed and the Bucks are the dominant team. And 
the Bulls who had a good season to start with kind of fading at the end. And here we are, game one on Sunday. So what are your quick thoughts on where the Bucks Bulls have come from the last time they meet, uh, they met and going into the series? Yeah, well, let's 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 clear the air. Dunleavy deserved it. He did. <laughs> let's make <did>. <laughs> that one hundred percent clear. He deserved it. Uh, he I have no problem with Giannis going over and <laughs> mowing him over like a linebacker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it is a, a an incredible reversal of fortunes, so to speak. Tom Thibodeau has a bad habit of running his teams into the ground. It, it, it always happens. They're really, really good for most of the regular season. Then you start seeing the wheels kind of start to fall off around playoff time. And it, that, that's really what closed their window. He, he ran those guys at the ground. Taj Gibson, uh, Joakim Noah, Derek Rose. I mean, all those ran into the ground a little bit. Yeah, ran Jimmy Butler down. I mean, it, it just it just grinds people's gears after a while. It, it really is a, a an incredible reversal of fortunes. It, you see Milwaukee being the, the dominant force, being the defending champions, uh, coming in with a lot of confidence, knowing that they still have work to do because this Bulls team, as you mentioned, they were very good. good. Uh, things really changed when they lost Lonzo Ball. When they lost Lonzo Ball for the season, that – really really changed things he was defensively really good passing the basketball uh, it, it really changed things for them uh, kind of faltered down a stretch a little bit still stayed out the, uh, of the play-in but it, it's it's not going to be a small task I, I believe the Bucks will beat them uh, it, I, I don't ever give a team a sweep even if I feel it's going to be a sweep but you know five or six games they should be able to take care of the Bulls I have no fear of anybody across the way they, the Bucks have played them very well all season long and they'll advance to the second round. Yeah, the one the one player for the Bulls that off on the offensive side that I just I don't want to I'm not looking forward to watching play for four games is and his mid range jumper and that's DeRozan. But we saw the last time these two teams played, DeRozan scored forty, the rest of his team combined scored sixty and the Bucks won in a blowout. He's really to me the biggest threat they have. Yeah, Zach Levine didn't play the last time, and uh, Nikola Virovic, he, uh, last time the Bucks faced him in the playoffs, he uh, kind of, you know, gave him a wake-up call when he was with Orlando. I think that was back with the bubble. Yeah. But DeRozan's the only one that really worries me, especially without ball. Um, but once the Bucks started putting Drew Holiday on him, he, he's taken a, he, he's had to use a lot of shots to get his points. Do you think the Bucks kind of go that same route yeah. in the playoffs against DeRozan, or do they, you know, try to fix what isn't broken? I think they take some of the same approach because it's really the same approach they kind of took with Kevin Durant last playoffs. They knew Durant was going to go and get his. They they knew that there was no real way of stopping him. But the one thing they could do is make him incredible. And when you're expending that much energy just trying to get a shot off, uh, getting around the defender. It, it, it takes its toll over the course of a series, and I think they'll take that very same approach. Yeah, it was definitely an approach that worked, and you got to keep doing it. Defensively, Bucks have been kind of up and down. Um, they've they've usually three point shots have been their biggest weakness. They give up a lot of three point shots. That's just the way the defense is designed. I know last playoffs they kind of fixed it a little bit and did more switching instead of the drop. Uh, one of the adjustments that a lot of people said uh, Budenholzer couldn't make, he did in the playoffs. 
Uh, I don't know if you got to do a lot of the the switching against the Bulls as they're not a good three point shooting team. But do we see the Bucks kind of going in their old bag of tricks a little bit uh, just to get used to doing it? You know, I mean, I, I don't really think so unless the Bulls come up with some sort of adjustment for what they have been doing in the regular season, uh, which is really what it comes down to, especially in the playoffs, are adjustments. You know, who's going to make the best adjustments? Who's going to make adjustments for adjustments? Uh, if they do figure out a different wrinkle to throw at the Bucks, then, yeah, I think they'll we'll see a little bit of switching and, and, and Boonholzer going to his playoff bag of tricks. But otherwise, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You, you dominated those guys in regular season, no matter who played, uh, and I believe they could do it again. Yeah, and I think especially for the fact the Bulls don't have an answer at all for Giannis. And as we no. saw last time they played, they didn't have an answer for Lopez either. He just took no. them to school in the post. And Lopez, the team's been better with Lopez um, since he's been back. Defensively, they've gotten better. Rebounding's gotten better. Giannis can be more of the help instead of having to shut down the paint, which really isn't his strong shoot suit and you put Bobby Portis on the bench where he's a better, you know, six man than he is starter. The Bucks definitely have the depth. And I, 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 as I, said, I just don't see, you know, I, IQ, I don't really want to necessarily predict the sweep here, but I just don't see, you know, the Bulls haven't beat the Bucks. I think I, the stat was since 2017. I think yeah. it's the last time the Bulls beat the Bucks. And I think the one thing the Bulls could keep in their favor, if they can keep the score close at halftime, we all know how the Bucks come out in the third quarter. They have a minus six-point differential in the third and the yeah. worst defense in the league in the third quarter. Anything they can do to prevent that? At this point, they are what they are. Uh, if they were going to fix it, and I know everybody's been screaming for them to fix it, and they've had a few more consistent third quarters ever since Brooke Lopez has come back. And to your point, I think so many people vastly underrated what Brook Lopez brings to the table. He is necessary. He is a championship piece. And you saw that. If, if, if there was ever, to the letter of the law, what an MVP is, <laughs> you saw that with Lopez being out and how it affected that defense, how it affected the offense, and the things that the Bucks wanted to do. And now that he's back, as you mentioned, they're starting to get a little bit better. They were kind of more offensively. They bumped that up just a tiny bit. But I just, I don't have any fear of the Bulls. I know it's the playoffs. I know everything can happen. They don't have great three-point shooting. They don't have Ball who uh, adds a little bit more defense to that team that sorely needs it. Vucevic, no fear of him whatsoever. He gave him a wake-up call in Orlando uh, in that bubble series in the playoffs against the Bucks. but that was about it. You know, that was, that was their one one good victory. Um, I just don't have any fear of them. If the Bucks going to win with the mindset of, okay, you know, it's playoff time. We need to go and handle business. Let's try to knock this out the box as quickly as possible. We'll see straight domination. But they play with their food. Like we saw <laughs> many times in the regular season and many times last playoffs, you're going to be in for a fight, and it's going to be scrappy. It's going to be more physical, and it's going to put more toll on your body you needed to. Yeah, hopefully they don't play with their food. They did that against Atlanta, especially a couple times, and oh definitely didn't turn out well. So we've seen an adjustment down the stretch. Um, Grayson Allen moves to the bench. Wes Matthews moves to the, the starting lineup. I know you lose some offense to that starting lineup, which you really don't need because you got 
the big three, but you improve the defense with Wes Matthews in there, uh, but you lose – I guess he's not really an offensive player anymore. What are your thoughts on that move? Question is, do they stick with that move for the playoffs? I, I, I don't – I don't know if they will be fully committed to that move come playoff time. And we saw this last season. There were games where Bobby Portis didn't even see a lick of playing time in that Brooklyn series. Uh, we saw Brent Forbes just disappear. You know, he had two great games and then he was nowhere to be found. So I don't know if they're fully committed to that being the starting lineup for the playoffs. We'll see. We'll see on Sunday. Um, but uh, it, it may be a situation where, okay, we just need to do this to maybe rest some bodies. We need to do this to maybe figure some things out defensively so we can get a little bit better than we have been in the regular season and get geared up for the playoffs. I don't know if Boonehoser is truly committed to that being the starting lineup, but we'll we'll see on Sunday. Yeah, and rotation-wise, like the the first year they make the playoffs and second year, you know, the, the playing too many people was the – was the common theme you heard. He uh, didn't shrink the rotation. Last year, he did. And I, I think that that's what we're going to see once again. If that's the case, obviously you have, you know, I'm just going to say the starting five they've had, your Giannis, your Middleton, your Holiday, your Lopez, your Matthews. Then obviously you have your Pat C, your Grayson Allen, your Bobby Portis. That's eight. Is, do they? Is that kind of the rotation they stick with, or do you throw in a George Hill or a or a Carter, or Carter, or is it kind of just you know how things are flowing in the series? I think Budenholzer has taken the approach, and I think we saw that in last season's run, that it, you're going to take it as it comes. You know, you, he's going to start whoever he feels adds that jolt that they need, that adds that uh, that that bit of uh, uh, business that they need to get the job done. Uh, I I believe you, and you're correct, I believe he will shrink that rotation. That's usually what happens around playoff time as is, but I don't think you will – I don't think you'll see George Hill be on the bench for too long. I don't think you will see Carr be on the bench for too long. There may be some games where they don't get in, but they will be a part – I mean, he played George Teague last playoffs. <laughs> I mean, he, you got to think that George Hill – Against Atlanta. He made some big shots yes. in Atlanta. <laughs> he was clutch in Atlanta. I will give him all the credit in the world, Mr. I got an A on the group project. I will give him all the credit <laughs> in the world for that. He came up with some clutch baskets in, in, in that situation. I, I have no hate for, for George Jeff Teague whatsoever. But if he played him, you got to believe he got to play George Hill. You got to believe he plays Carter, who's shown, who's shown you some real good stuff in this regular season, uh, especially defensively. So he'll shrink the rotation, but those guys will have a, a – how big of a role, we don't know, but they will play a small part in this run. Yeah, Carter's definitely a pest. I I, I remember mm-hmm. shortly after they got him, Bucks playing Brooklyn, and he ended up having to leave the game. And they were the bloody nose. I, I didn't see him after that. But the Bucks go on a big run. They force an eight second violation. You could tell Kyrie's frustrated, and Bucks start to close that gap. I think the third quarter they did their usual thing. Um, but now they're starting to close the gap towards the end of the third quarter going into the fourth quarter. And then he takes, I think it was an elbow to the nose, accidental. But either way, he leaves the game. And then after that, uh, Nets pull away and they end up winning. He's a pass. And obviously you don't want to use him too much because he's also only six one. He can get a little exposed out there if the, against bigger guards. But, yeah, I I wasn't sure what I thought about it when they first brought him in. But I do like some Carter. I will say that much. Yeah. 
Yeah, he's definitely added. Uh, like you said, he's a pest. Guys, always, you know, he, he won't yeah, <laughs> get away. <laughs> Those Patrick Beverly types, just get, get out of here. Get away from me. So, and I don't want to jump ahead because obviously the Bucks have to handle their business first. But to close out the regular season, all all we heard, and I don't buy it, is you know Bucks tank to to avoid the Nets, which I don't buy at all. <laughs> Um, no. the Bucks, they three three games and four nights or whatever the total was. They're going to give their starters some rest, and that's what they've done the past couple years. I think it was last year if they would have won the uh, if they would have won the last game of the season, I think it was. Um, they would have not had to play Miami in the first round, and I know a lot of people are avoid Miami, and they ended up having to play Miami. We saw how that turned out. Brooklyn, if they. Um, if they can get past Boston, which isn't going to be easy, Bucks play them in the second round. I'm not that worried this season with Brooklyn as I was last year. It's hard to, I'm sorry, it's it's Irving and Durant, and that's it. Like You're going to have to play them 40-plus minutes a night to get through the first round, let alone a second-round series. And I didn't think I didn't think they they tanked in order to avoid the Nets in the first round. I just think they decided we're going to rest guys, and Boston decided we're going to try. But I guess what are your thoughts in that potential second round matchup, and then the talking about trying to dodge the Nets? Yeah, I'm I'm with you 100. There, you're a world champion. Why would you dodge anybody? I don't think a team with Giannis Antetokounmpo on it is ducking and dodging anybody. Ask Mike Dunleavy. He ran right through him. Okay, so <laughs> he talks about running right through it, going right through it all the time. They're not ducking and dodging anybody. So that sentiment is just absolutely foolish. You're, you're right in the listening of Brooklyn. Uh, they just don't get it done defensively as they did last season. This season is just their defense has been a sieve. They're towards the bottom of the league defensively. Uh, again, it's the playoffs. It's a new season. They could turn things around. I don't foresee that because they're going up against the number one rated defense in Boston. So <laughs> you're right. They're going to have to run Kyrie and KD into the ground unless you get something out of Patrick Mills. Yes, yeah, Patrick, not Patty. Call him Patrick. Call him by his full name. Uh-huh. Unless you get something out of him, you don't have Harris. Um, you're going to have to get something out of your supporting cast. And I don't see them getting a whole lot out of them. And Boston, even being without Williams, uh, defensively, I still think they could get the job done. I will not be surprised to see that series go seven, but I don't really foresee the Nets making it out of the first round. Okay. Does Ben Simmons make a difference? I'm hearing like game four, like possibility he's back. He hasn't played at all this season. Right. I don't see him making a difference. Do you see him making a difference at all? Because he's definitely not in basketball shape. Exactly. You took the words right out. There's a difference between being in shape, which he is, and being in basketball shape. That is a completely different kind of shape. He has not played all season. I don't see him making very much of a difference. Can he go out there and get the rebound? Sure. Uh, is he going to be as good defensively? I don't think he is is in the basketball shape to to do the things that he normally is accustomed to doing. I, I, I don't even know. I don't, I'm, you know, honestly, I'm not even sure that he even makes it onto the court this series, honestly. I know there's a lot of optimism, but even Kevin Durant came out and, and said that he's not pushing 
for Ben Simmons to come out and hoop right now, especially he's not in the, the right uh, space to do so. And I, I think it's just a bunch of smoke with no fire. I don't believe we'll see him at all, um, especially if it's a sweep situation for Boston, which, again, I'm not saying they're going to sweep them, but if it is that type of a situation, there's no reason to rush him back. Let him get right mentally. Let him get right basketball-wise. Bring him back next season. Yeah, and that trade really made no sense to me to begin with. And I know Harden wanted out of uh, uh, Brooklyn for whatever reason. I don't know if him and Kyrie had an issue with Kyrie's in, in availability uh, to play, but no, te- neither team really improved themselves at all. And Philly really hurt themselves defensively because we know Harden's not doesn't give a ton of effort on defense. Yeah, he'll pick a pocket every now and then, but he's not doesn't give a ton of effort. And he, you know, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't scare me too much either. Um, so that trade didn't really make a lot of sense to me, but let's look at the Eastern conference as a whole. So we got Bucks, Bulls, we talked some Nets and Celtics, um, Raptors and Philadelphia. I'm sure it's the matchup that Philadelphia did not want in that first round because Toronto, even if they're not as talented as Philadelphia, I think they're three and one against Philly on the season. Let's talk there quick. Who do you think comes out? Yeah, I, it's Nick Nurse, man. And Bucks fans have PTSD from Nick Nurse teams. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, and, and Philly should, too, because we all know about that Kawhi game winner uh, to send them to the Eastern Conference Finals when he was with Toronto. So uh, Joel Embiid is probably having some PTSD there, too. I, it's This one is a tough one to call. Uh, Philly is very talented. Um, I know you say that the, the, the trade didn't make sense for, for James Harden. And James Harden, you're correcting your assessment. He doesn't really give great effort defensively he will pick a pocket here and there uh the big thing for me is he does not seem like a doc rivers guy he just doesn't fit the mold for what a doc rivers needs in that position for me he is one of the greatest all-time scorers he's undoubtedly going to be a hall of famer doubt um but on this team with this coach uh, that puts an emphasis on defense Will they be able to get that done against a defensive-minded Toronto squad? I, this one's a this one's tough to call. I, it honestly, I would not be shocked if Toronto came out with that, but I just think Joel Embiid, who will more than likely usurp some MVP votes from both Giannis and, and Jokic, um, I think they prevail. But it's going to be a much closer series than most people think. Um, the best defender on Philly can't play in Toronto. I, how big of how yeah. big of a loss is that for uh, Philly? Oh, that's huge. Thibault is you talk about pest. He's he's definitely that pest, and he he sticks on you all game long. Thibault is 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 no joke. So him not being available for those games in Toronto, at least two. Uh, you know, if it goes the difference, you know, you're talking three games that he's going to be missing. That could potentially be three losses unless somebody else steps up defensively and goes and gets that job done. And last question with Philly. If Philadelphia fails to win the championship, um, is Doc Rivers done? Oh, see this, this is the pot. Evan Stern. He's stirring the pot <laughs> right now. Wow, that's um honestly you're, based off your you you made the comment that he doesn't seem James Harden doesn't seem like a Doc Rivers guy. And yeah. the person running the show in Philadelphia is a James Harden guy. James Harden guy. Yeah. 
know <laughs> yeah. if they don't win the championship or make a deep run into the Eastern Conference Finals, is Doc Rivers gone? That's definitely going to be on the table for sure, one way or the other. But it's definitely on the table. As you mentioned, Morley is a James Harden guy. We knew that if he ever took a job elsewhere, that James Harden will end up wherever he is. Uh, and here we are in Philly. And it's going to come to an impasse. It's, it's either going to be him or a future Hall of Fame player. Morley's going to pick the future Hall of Famer in James Harden. So it, it will be on the table. It will be interesting. But we will see if they get out that first round. Yeah, because I know um... – Mike and Mike, not Mike and Mike, Mike uh, Greenberg, uh, his show, he's been talking about that there's the the person to keep your eye on in Philly if if they don't win is uh, Mike D'Antoni because um, him and Harden, you know, they go back. Um, I don't know how yeah. Embiid would handle having D'Antoni, though, <laughs> to be honest. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about another guy that just kind of wears on you after a while. Yeah, D'Antoni is that guy. And you talk about somebody who who does uh, who does honor defense a bit in, in, in Bede. I know his offensive game gets the most shine, but he does value the defense a bit. Uh, not not quite to the level of some other guys like a Giannis or a Jokic, but um, I don't know how that would fly. Just being a, just an offensive laden team, I don't think they would be as good. I, I just I don't know. It, it will be interesting to see. And the the other Eastern Conference matchup, the Heat versus either the Hawks or Cleveland, is it kind of a no-brainer Heat are going to win that, or could either the Hawks or Cleveland give uh, Miami some trouble? If it's Cleveland, no, I don't foresee it. But if it's the Hawks, they're battle-tested. They went all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals. They went six games. They went toe-to-toe with the eventual champions. Um, Knocked Philly out last year? Knocked Philly out last year. You know, we're the villains in New York. You know, the, um, MSG. I mean, that's the, the stage that everybody wants to be on, especially come playoff time. And they showed up and they showed out. So if it's if it's Cleveland, no. It, I don't think Cleveland even makes it competitive. Although they did make it competitive against the Nets, and the Nets barely beat them. Um, but I don't foresee it. I don't foresee it being too competitive. But if it's the Hawks, I, the Hawks could do it. The Hawks could do it. It might take seven. It would take some grind from from the Hawks to be able to do it, to, to match the Heat's grind. But I would not be shocked if they came out of that first-round series either. Yeah, and the Hawks are a team, to me, that definitely injuries played, played a huge role on them this season early on. Now yeah. they're healthy. I think, like you, they can give Miami a battle. Cleveland, I just think they're too young, um, not battle-tested enough to uh, – to beat Spolstra in the Heat, uh, but how 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 uh, fun could that second round matchup of Nick Nurse versus Spolstra be? Potentially, oh, <laughs> that could be a fun matchup. And before we jump to the Western Conference, uh, uh, Nick Nurse's name has popped up as somebody uh, along with Mark Mark Jackson that the Lakers could target. Uh, any chance Nick Nurse leaves Canada? where he's the guy, doesn't have to worry about pissing LeBron off or not, any chance he goes to L.A.? I, you know what? I mean, honestly, I don't I don't see it. I don't see that. I honestly don't. I, I, you're going from one defensive guy and Vogel 
who did not deserve to be fired. It was not his fault. He did not put that roster together. He did not cause all the injuries. I mean, he tried to get the best out of those guys that he could. So it's definitely not his fault. You're talking two seasons removed from a championship. Like, come on. Uh, So seeing his treatment, and you're going to go to another defensive guy and Nick Nurse and another defensive guy and Mark Jackson, it's like, you know, it's kind of eyebrow raising. Like, okay, (laughs) how many coaches are you guys going to churn through in the next three to five seasons while LeBron is still there? I, I I don't foresee him leaving Canada, but who knows? They throw enough money at him, it, it's possible. Yeah, well, and then the Lakers would likely have to try to pull a trade for Nurse, and I don't think they have the assets, though, to even think about it. I do think no. Mark Jackson gets that job. Um, Jason Kidd probably would have been the op, the obvious choice, but he's in Dallas. Yep. Uh, but I think Mark Jackson ends up getting that job. That's just my thought on that. Do you think he's yeah. the one that ends up getting it at the end of the day? I think so, especially LeBron's already pitching for him heavy. So, and, you know, I know he's, he likes to say he's not going to make front office decisions, but come on, LeBron, you know you make he's front office Ru- Russell Westbrook's there. <laughs> Carmelo Anthony, too. There. He's the reason why Carmelo's there. You know, yeah. so it's like you don't get involved in front office decisions? Really? Really, LeBron? Stop it. Yeah. We, we know better than that. You've been in this league too long, been, to- been dominant too long for us to think that you have no say-so in personnel whatsoever. Stop. You're one of the greatest yeah. of all time. Stop it. We know you got front office personnel power. Yeah. So jump to the Western Conference. So we got Utah versus Dallas, who is an example of why Memphis and Milwaukee and other teams don't play anybody the last game of the season because now Luke is out for at least game one, and that totally, that totally puts the – uh, the series in Utah's favor because who knows when Luca can even be back because cap strings can be tricky. So now you got Utah who can't seem to win when it matters versus Dallas without their superstar. Which way do you see that one going? Does Utah pull off the win without Luca or can the da- Dallas somehow win the series with a limited Luca or no? Luka? I don't think. Yeah, that's the thing because you got a calf strain and you start compensating. That could go down to the Achilles because that's exactly what happened to Kevin Durant when he blew out his Achilles in the in the finals. So that's that's a tricky thing. You know, you can think you're okay, um, and you're really not. So it it it, we we they say at least game one he's out. I I think they're trying to be optimistic. We may not see him in that series at all. No. Uh, depending on how that, that, that calf goes and how cautious they want to be. I mean, he's their franchise player. You don't mess around with those things. They can get game one, and it really falls into question on how healthy Luka actually is, which I don't think very, but we've just gone over that. If Luka is not available and if he is not himself, and I know he could do other things on court, he could pass the basketball and all that, I get it, but that whole team's offense is predicated around what Luka Doncic can do. His usage is one of the highest in, highest percentage of usage in the NBA. So if, if they don't have him, who do you look to for any type of offense? I mean, they really don't have much after Luka. So I have no faith in the Mavericks figuring out is Jason Kidd over there. If he's, he doesn't have his main guy. I have no confidence whatsoever in them figuring a way out of that series against Utah, who is coming in mostly healthy, um, playing some pretty good defense. I, I don't see it. 
Yeah. And for those that are accusing the Bucks of trying to dodge the the Nets, that's exhibit A of why everybody except uh, Drew Holiday played uh, didn't play except for eight seconds because you know he wanted to get that three hundred thou. Um, well, yeah, credit him. Get that money, man. It's yeah, there for you. Go, go get it. I got no problem. With it. Credit the Bucks too, giving him a chance. They could have been like, eh, no, but he yeah. went in, made a follow, and peace out. I'm gonna go sit next to my guys. <laughs> exactly. Our day's work right there, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, Minnesota, who gets in as a seventh seed, uh, they celebrated like they won the championship, which I don't blame them personally. I have no issue no. with it. No. Patrick Beverly has a long history with the Clippers, played for the Clippers for the longest time. Yeah. Minnesota, when's the last time they were even thought of as being relevant, let alone being relevant in the NBA? Um, they're not going to win the first round matchup against Memphis. I think they know that, but yeah. they're in the playoffs. They won the play and they're the seventh seed. They have as just about shot of any of these teams as, you know, winning a few games here and it's it's big for their growth. Unfortunately, I think Memphis wins it in four or five, but I got no problem with Minnesota celebration after they won. I really don't. I think people make no. a big deal out of it for no reason. You're exactly right. The, the, the history of, of Pat Beverly uh, with the Clippers, you know, he felt some type of way when they traded him. You know, he, he felt like they just threw him away like he was garbage. And, you know, it, that, that was personal for him. So to carry a team that had been in the playoffs since, what, 2017, I think, or 2018? that it's been a while and you you got to remember there's young guys over there and a bunch of guys who have never ever been to the playoffs before so they're exuberant they're excited they have a shot you know they won the play in they're officially in the playoffs that's what they've been working for all season just to get to that point to play more games so it's an exciting time i have no problem with them you know celebrating like they've won the chip you know it's it's fun you know the playoff tournament uh, play-in tournament has been better than than what i thought it would be uh, it's it's exciting. Hopefully, you're going up against Memphis, <laughs> and well, they played very evenly in the regular season. I believe I think that series was tied uh, uh, to a piece. I think so. And Patrick Beverly has kind of shut down John Morant. You know, so <laughs> it's it's going to be a little bit more competitive than what we all believe it to be. But in the end, I feel that Memphis will get that victory. The matchup I'm excited for in the West, uh, De- Denver and Golden State, if Steph Curry can quickly come back from not playing for so long with his foot injury, which is asking a lot, especially for you know somebody his age, yeah. that that could be a series that goes all seven with uh, how good Denver is and how good Golden State can be if guys are healthy and you know Clay Thompson, the way he's been able to. Uh, Remember that game against the Bucks where he had like thirty three. Um, I, I I like Clay Thompson, per, you know personally. I've I always you know like he's one guy. It's hard not to root for. Like I said, yeah. that's a series that could easily go seven. Yeah, and the yeah. thing is, like, we don't even know if we will see Steph Curry at all. That's the thing. You're talking about a foot injury, bone bruise. I mean, it's you know that's kind of the same thing that hampered Trey Young in the Eastern Conference Finals last season. Yeah, it's, it's it's no joke. You know, it's everybody here is bone bruise. Oh, bruise, you'll be okay. Nah, man, that's that's Those a bruise hurt. down to the bone. <laughs> There's ligaments and everything else in there messed 
fucked up. So it's it's a little bit more serious yeah. than just a bruise. It's like turf toe, where I think you just stubbed your toe. No, there's some torn ligaments in there. So we may not even see him this series. And I think they're going to be very careful with Steph Curry. Obviously, if he makes it back, that, that gives them a, a big boost. It's going to be competitive. It is going to be competitive. I It comes down to health. It, it honestly comes down to health. I always said that a healthy Golden State team would be probably be the team to beat in the West. Well, they haven't exactly been the most healthy this season. So no. it's going to be a little bit more competitive. I think Golden State still comes out of that series, but it'll be really competitive. Yeah, Golden State, they haven't had their big three all healthy at the same time. Uh, but with that, yeah, that's how with that, guys, like, guys like Jordan Poole has really taken advantage of his opportunities. Another guy that torched the Bucks, uh about a month or so ago. Um, Looney, another Milwaukee guy, uh, he's, he's stepped up when he's had to. Granted, Giannis kind of took him to school big time. That's the one positive in that. But they have some of their uh, – with Omi playing 11 minutes together, their role players have had to step up and get kind of battle-tested too. So that should help be helpful. But, again, as you said, it's all about health. And I think Denver at this point is the healthier out of the bunch, even without Murray. Um, but I, I just I think Denver does end up winning, but it's going to be a hell of a series. Yeah, so. it's – you know, and, and Denver has their their guys missing as well. You know, I don't. We're definitely not going to see Jamal Murray anytime soon. Uh, we're definitely not going to see Michael Porter Jr. anytime soon. Yeah. Back in, so it's it, it, these are two squads that have great squads when they're fully healthy, and it'll be competitive. Again, I wouldn't be surprised to see Denver come out of that series. I just, I, I just think that with how battle tested Golden State has been, uh, if Clay Thompson is on, if you get some sort of defense out of Draymond Green. And as you mentioned, the role players, including GP2, you know, Gary Payton II, um, they, they can play. Yeah, he's, been, yeah. he's, been, he's been really good. He's yeah. been really good, especially defensively. So it, they have some some guys, as you mentioned, some role players that, that have been inserted and, and played a lot more time and gotten a lot more experience than they would have with a fully healthy Golden State squad. But Steve Kerr will find a way to pull those guys through that series. It's going to be about coaching. It's going to be about adjustments. Uh, and working with what you have and and man that's going to be a really competitive series i just think maybe possibly golden state squeaks out of that and the final series phoenix suns versus the winner of the pelicans and the clippers and do we really need to talk about that because no (laughs) in fairness if the clip you talked about health if the clippers are fully healthy which they're not because Kawhi leonard hasn't played it off paul george just came back recently hasn't played a lot of minutes, that could be a hell of a series. But with the Clippers, with their injury issues, and the Pelicans just not being a very good team, to be honest, um, the Suns shouldn't really have much of a a struggle in that one. I think it's safe to say. Yeah, Joe Green, head coach of New Orleans, for getting those guys into the play-in situation. Um, A lot of people felt that they wouldn't even be sniffing that. Uh, Then they make the trade. McCollum's been really good. So, you know, shout out to him to, to pulling those guys along, especially after the horrid start they got off to. I think they were, what, 1-12 at one point? Yeah, I mean, not good you know, at one point. 12 at one point. 
awful. <laughs> so shout out to him for, for never wavering and, and getting those young guys, getting the best out of them and integrating the new players uh, after the trade on the team to, to continue that and, and get themselves into a, a, an opportunity to, to make it to the playoffs. Um, but in the end, you're talking about the defending Western Conference champions who have taken it up a further notch, uh, which should put some more put more respect on their name and put more respect on the Bucks name because I said it last year the Bucks beat a really good Suns team they were really good and they're even yeah. better this season <laughs> even better this season than they were last season so it's like hey congratulations you won the play in you get to play the Phoenix Suns we'll see you next season because it's it's probably I'm not gonna say it's gonna be a sweep I'll say it's five games I'll I'll, I'll give them a game but we all know what I'm thinking yeah. So, do this? Do we see a Bucks Suns uh, rematch, or is there a team in the East and the West that you think has a better shot than Milwaukee or Phoenix of getting through? If I had to pick a team that that honestly had a, a shot, I, you know what? I, I'm still not that big of a believer in Miami making it out of the East, even though they did so just a couple seasons ago. Uh, they've been they're starting to get healthy as well you know bam came back some time ago but and they're playing really good defense you know like I said coach spo one of the better coaches in the league boston is that squad for me because they're number one defensively they figured out a way how to play together offensively with brown and tatum because remember there was silly talk about them not being cohesive and somebody's gotta go and like you guys are foolish if you think that's gonna happen like they'll figure it out and they have I, it would be one of those if I if I didn't pick Milwaukee, it would be either Boston or Miami to come out of the East to not make it another rematch. And uh, who who do you see coming out of the West? Is it the Suns again, or is it somebody else in the West that is able to knock them off and get to the finals? I don't see anybody knocking the Suns off. I, I really don't. They've just been so good. Um, I mean, like I said, they've gotten better this season over last season. And they've been consistently good. I just do not see them. They, I mean, it would be shocking to me to see the wheels fall off at this point of the season when they haven't all season long. Uh, I, so I don't really see anybody knocking them off. But again, it's the playoffs. We've all been wrong before. So I wouldn't be shocked if something shocking happened. But I don't foresee Phoenix being knocked off at all. Yeah, Boston does worry me. Um, I would like Boston to knock out Brooklyn just to stop the narrative of can Brooklyn go from playing to championship? And you know, the NBA wants that to happen because oh, yeah. if Brooklyn can go, cause you know, none of any of the, none of the playing teams in the West are even going to sniff the Western conference finals, let alone the NBA finals. No. But their dream is Brooklyn going from, were they the eighth or seventh seed going into the play-in? I think they were the seventh, right? Seventh. Well, whatever they, you know, seven. So they go from the play-in tournament as a seventh seed all the way to the NBA Finals and winning it, the NBA can now point to it and say, this is why we want the play-in tournament. And the fact that you even had Brooklyn in the situation that they're in is, it's not going to happen every year. This is like a once-in-a-blue-moon situation well, where something happened, you know, with Brooklyn, and a lot of it was Durant's health, Kyrie's not being available, mm-hmm. Harden being disgruntled for until he left, 
and Brooklyn dropped all the way at one point to the 10th seed and they got in. They're not, I don't, I, I just want Boston to knock them out for that reason. So we can, we don't have to hear that nonstop the rest of the playoffs until Brooklyn gets knocked out. Cause you know, that's what the four letter networks and all of them are good. That's the drum. They're going to be beating. Oh yeah. Every you morning know, you start to get up on when they talk basketball, can Brooklyn do it? Be scared of Brooklyn. I'm not scared of Brooklyn. I'm just not. They're not. Other than Durant and Kyrie, they're not that good. Yeah, right, last I season I get that off your chest. <laughs> hey, man, hey, hey, is JoJo get it off your chest? <laughs> Honestly, last year Brooklyn was the team that that worried me, um, just because they they played so much better on both ends of the court. But this year, it's one sided. And yeah, Kyrie's been fantastic because he hasn't played a whole lot of games. Uh, it, it's only just recently he's been able to play every single game. At what point does he hit the wall if he does hit a wall? You know, it, fatigue's going to come. It, it comes for everybody. Everybody has that small lull uh, in some time in the season where they're just, you know, it's not that they don't take care of their bodies, but it's just natural fatigue. And then eventually yeah. they get their second win. So at what point does he hit that wall and then things just kind of crumble for Brooklyn. They're not going to be able to win this series with just those two guys and a bunch of everybody else. And especially if everybody else does not perform in the manner in which they need to, to give them the support that they need. So I'm with you to, to squash that narrative. <laughs> Boston has to be their number one defensive selves, go and handle business in that series. Yeah. And I, I would, well, I would say I, I don't want Brooklyn for the reason I said, but Boston in the second round, and I think the Bucks are the better team, but I think you brought up a lot of reasons why Boston could give Milwaukee, assuming assuming the Bucks get past the Bulls. Let's not assume that the Bucks are going to win because we thought the Bucks were going to knock off the Heat in uh, the bubble, and we thought the Bucks were going to knock off Toronto a couple years ago, and unfortunate mm-hmm. things happened. But assuming the Bucks win – I think they'll beat Boston, but that's definitely going to be a tougher series to me than Brooklyn-Milwaukee would be, personally. So. Yeah, it's a tough road. It's a tough road, just like it was last season. It was a tough road. It was like, oh, you don't want to play You don't want to play Miami. You don't want to play Miami. And they waxed those boys, you know, sent yeah. them home. Game you know, one was close. Those Chris Middleton had that big shot uh, to win it. And then after yeah. that, the Bucs just, you know, get out of here. You're done. Straight domination. <laughs> yeah, straight domination. Not even close. Yeah. Here's your Libman. Get up out of here. Um, and, you know, and then second round, Brooklyn. Obviously, everybody was worried about it. Went seven. You know, it, it's and, – and they somehow won. I mean, I, I think everybody was a nervous wreck for game seven in the second round last season. And then you got the third uh, – the third round, Eastern Conference Finals, and uh, you, you had to put some respect on Atlanta's name. You know, they were getting after it defensively. Nate McMillan does that to teams. He just reaches young guys. He gets the absolute best out of them, makes them play defensively. But they were an offensive latent team as well. And Giannis goes down. You're worried about it. He was missing those last two games. Can they do it? They pulled it off to show you how great of a team Milwaukee is. And then you're going up against a really good Phoenix Suns squad in the finals. And you go down (laughs) 0-2. And you come back and you win it all. Uh, it, it's a tough road no matter what you do, no matter what playoffs you're in. It is going to be a tough road. There's going to be some ups and downs, uh, but you have to see it through. Yeah, and I want to switch gears here. Um, I do love talking NBA with you, um, but I know obviously that's not the you know not the only 
uh, you know, only thing to talk about. We do have, uh, you know, NFL draft season right around the corner. And the, the Packers did did, uh, did make a signing today, signed Sammy Watkins, which um, I personally like the signing. It's not it's not a Devontae Adams replacement. This is a MVS, to me, an MVS replacement. He's a guy, one healthy, like MVS, can take the yeah. top off the defense, and he's a little more crisper in his other routes. Um, yeah, he's known for his deep route, put the ball up top and let him go uh, get underneath it. But he can also run other routes for MVS to me, and a lot of people is a, a one trick pony. To me, Sammy Watkins replaces that um, that deep threat that MVS was when when he could be on the field. And what it does for you, to me, is when you're sitting at 22, because wide receiver room is pretty bare. I'm not saying the Packers <laughs> will, will go wide receiver at 22 or 28, but what it does is. If the right person is not there at 22, you don't have to reach for somebody that could be available at 28. So you can stick right. to your best player on the board, which could be an offensive tackle, could be a defensive lineman. Heck, it could even be a quarterback. Oops, I shouldn't have said that. But, <laughs> you know, you just never know. Um, the board's going to fall the way it does, and you don't have to reach because – what happens typically when you reach for position and you ba- draft based on what you need, look at when they drafted Mike McKenzie and Maude Carroll and Fred Vincent back to back to back. McKenzie was the only one that ever was any good out of those three. Yeah. That's the situation you get. And I, I think it match, lines up perfectly and the Packers could just, and here's the thing it does too. The wide receiver for Alabama, the one that tore the ACL in the championship game, I've seen a lot of chatter about the Packers liking him. Well, you sign Sammy Watkins, you draft him. You don't have, you know, he can take his time recovering from his ACL because the role that he would play, you have Sammy Watkins for. So that's why I like it. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts on bringing Sammy Watkins in? You are 100% correct in your assessment. It is an MVS replacement. You're not going to be able to replace the top wide receiver in a National Football League. I mean, you would have to catch lightning in a bottle with this trap in order to do so. You know, that's not to say that you can't. You know, you absolutely can. But, you know, you don't count on things like that. I liked MVS. I really did. I know there are so many people out there that had issues with them. But the offense was better with MVS. And I never, I never look at all <laughs> I never did no. like him. He, he just was what he was. Yeah, he was what he was. You and said he's a one-trick pony, and he reminds me of another one-trick pony from long ago, Corey Bradford, yeah. who ran one route, run wild only, and that was go deep, and that was it. He parlayed that into a big contract with the Texans. Hey, good for him. Go and get your coins. Mm-hmm. You did that. But that's what MVS was. He was a guy that just took the top off the, the, off, uh, the defense whereas Sammy Watkins can run a more complete route tree. Uh, Like you said, when healthy, he is going to stretch the field for you. Uh, He can give you a clutch catch possession-wise. He's a champion, you know, with with the Chiefs. So you're bringing in a veteran presence. You're bringing in a champion presence into that wide receiver room that sorely needs it. So I I really like the signing. Yeah, I, I, you know, and I, I just mentioned, I liked it too. And I like what it it gives you because now you know I I made a list of my my favorite receivers in the draft and there's one name that I really like 
but he's very raw. And like I said, if you draft uh, the, uh, the guy from Alabama, um, Kristen Watson, big guy, 6'4", 208, can run super fast. His level of competition may not have been the best, but he's fast. He has good size. He has a big catch radius. And he's a guy that by bringing in Sammy Watkins, again, you can bring him along slower. And maybe by week six, week seven, week eight, week nine, right around that time, he's up to speed in the offense because you know how we all know how Rodgers is. And apparently Sammy Watkins and Rodgers were chatting um, prior to the signing. So obviously Rodgers wanted him here. He talked to him. He said, hey, you know, let's see, you know, talk to the Packers and let's try to see if we can get something done. And they did. But if you draft a guy like uh, like uh, Christian Watson, who still needs some polish and some work, you can bring him along solely. Or George Pickens. He's a guy who somehow made it back for the national championship game with an ACL injury. You know, you can bring him along slower. You have Alex, uh, Alex Price from Cincinnati, another guy who's a big down-the-field threat, Justin Tolbert. These are rookies that can be very, very good, but they're likely not going to be – you know, hit it, you know, contributing day, you know, game one, play one as a rookie. So you bring a veteran in like Sammy Watkins, you get these guys a chance to, to slowly develop. And that's, I, that's how I look at it. And one name that's being thrown around, which I personally don't want because I don't want to give up what you'd have to give up for him just to see him leave as a free agent mm-hmm. because he's going to reset the market after seeing what uh, Hill mm-hmm. and Adams got is DK Metcalf. I honestly would not want to trade for him for those reasons. What are your thoughts on DK? I'm not trading for him unless I get a long-term commitment from him. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of money. That will be the only one. That will be a lot of money. (laughs) But the thing is, if they were willing to give Devontae a lot of money, more than what the Raiders offered him, then – you know, th- then they got it to spend depending on what they want to do. But without that sort of commitment, I- I'm not, I'm not, I'm not putting in the the draft capital and the cash that I have to go and acquire him if he is in fact available. And we know the Seahawks said the same exact thing about Russell Wilson, and now he's in Denver. So I don't, you know, if they say somebody's not available, they're available. But I don't foresee the Packers making that move. They would need a a a commitment long-term from DK in order for them to go and spend that type of capital. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not giving up my first round picks for it. I'm sorry. Um, nope. I'm also not trading up either. Just because I'm not using my two first round pick, like maybe package one of my first round, like my 28th and my, one of my second round picks or both my second round picks to move up in the first round that way. Sure. But I'm not giving up 22 and 28 to move up in the draft. Um, another guy I want to get no. your thoughts on who I, I like as a rookie, um, even more so than Christian Watson is Chris, uh, Alave from Ohio state. He's a guy that he's, he can run the full route tree. He can yeah. sometimes let the ball get into his body when he tries to catch it, but he can run the full route tree. He can run super fast. And he's a guy that always seems to fi- he always seems to find where he's supposed to be in the right place at the right time. And we all know that's partially what worked with Devontae and Jordy Nelson. They knew where they needed to be, and Rodgers was able to find it. I think he's a guy that could have a very quick learning curve adjusting to an Aaron Rodgers. 
What do you, what's your thoughts on him? Yeah, that's the thing. Does it translate from college to the pros? You know, that that's that's the big thing. You know, and, and it's great to see in college. And, you know, you hear all the great stuff coming out about him. I mean, he's a, he's a hell of a player. Let's be clear about that. Uh, but will it actually translate to the NFL? You certainly hope so. You know, that's one of those things where I said, hey, you can catch lightning in a bottle with a receiver. Uh, you know, it's not, you don't want to count on it, but you can certainly, it can certainly be done. I think this guy would be lightning in a bottle. I think a lot of what he did uh, at Ohio State would translate into the NFL. Obviously, you, you know, you're, you're going to struggle in some areas. It's the NFL. You, but once he adjusts, I, I think he's going to be an impact player for whoever gets him. I personally don't know if he's going to be there when the Packers pick. Um, he may be gone at that point, but if he is there, it, yeah, you certainly, you certainly hope so. Uh, but if not, go after him. Uh, just, I just think the things that he does, a lot of what he does will translate onto the field. And we know that's exactly what Aaron Rodgers likes. Be in the, pl- yeah. in the place that you need to be at, at the time you need to be there and make the play. Yeah. And, the veteran I was talking about, um, I met, talked on here, um, been talking to some of my, my buddies, and at first they were not on board at all. But then now that it's been a few weeks and he hasn't found a home yet, you know, the veteran I brought up, and there's still a chance that they can even go this route, I I would be okay if they bring Julio Jones in too. Because he's a guy who's been injured the past couple of years just like a certain cornerback from Mm -hmm. Oakland that the Packers signed uh, uh, back in, you know, 2006, I want to say, 2006, 2007. People thought he was broken down, couldn't stay healthy. He was washed up. Um, Why are you signing this guy? That could be Julio Jones. He could be the Charles Woodson to this offense. He could be a guy he wants to show that he can still go, and he's another guy that's going to be where you want him to be when you want him to be. And I think him and Rogers would form an instant connection too. Julio wants to win. The money's not really there for him anymore. Now we have the draft. Maybe he catches on someplace after the draft. Who knows? And now that I'm saying this, he's going to sign someplace tomorrow other than Green Bay. Uh, <laughs> yep. I would be fine for bringing Julio Jones in. Now you got Sammy Watkins and Julio, two veterans. You can still draft a wide receiver in the first round and you instantly improve your wide receiver room. You have, hopefully, Amari Rodgers can take a second-year jump. Uh, you have the veteran, Rodgers' best friend, and Randall Cobb. Lazard is a solid, would be a solid number three on any other team. And now you have Sammy Watkins and Julio Jones and a rookie on top of it. Your wide receiver room is better than it's been in a very long time, very quickly. Yeah, and, and Julio Jones was a name that, you know, people that I spoke to were kind of fooling around like oh, that would be a perfect pickup for the Packers. Yeah. You know, so I, when they when I heard they signed a wide receiver today, I wasn't expecting it to be Sammy Watkins. That one really kind of came out of left field. Uh, I thought for sure, like, oh, is there Julio Jones news? I mean, that makes the most sense to me, but it might make too much sense. Uh, yeah. You look at the injury history, and not that there isn't injury history of Sammy Watkins. There is. There, I mean, there's a long <laughs> injury history with him as well. Um but you would think they would take a chance on them, kick the tires on them, see what it is. I wouldn't have a problem with it. Uh, you you would kind of have to hope and pray that it stays healthy. But, I mean, that's almost with anybody. Yeah. And, yeah, as you said, that's that way with everybody. And, you know, Sammy Watkins can show up in, in Green Bay, play all 17 games, which I think he hasn't done in quite a while. And even with Rodgers wanting um, – is the one that really wanted Sammy Watkins. Um, 
him and Matt LaFleur, they've worked together before too when Sammy Watkins was in LA. So it's going to be a very yeah. quick turnaround to learn the offense. So 22-28, which direction right now, if you had to say, which direction do you see the Packers going? Are they going offensive tackle, wide receiver? Um, and some in the order don't doesn't really matter. Or are they going defense off like why defense then offense whatever's available? Where do you see them go? I, I think wide receiver is a priority. I think they have to do that. Uh, I mean, you you need to replenish that wide receiver. Before. Yeah, and I I, mean, I, I don't just, mean to chuckle here. I don't mean to chuckle here, but I just thought back to twenty twenty when we were all talking about wide receivers a priority. You need a wide receiver. You have to draft a wide receiver, and they draft a quarterback, a a backup quarterback yeah. at the time, and number three running back, a H-back hybrid type player, back to back to back, and they didn't even take a wide receiver. So that's why I'm laughing because I'm all for the meltdown. If they don't take a wide receiver of one of their first two picks, I'm all for the oh, man. meltdown that we're going to see. <laughs> and I'll be doing a live stream. I'll have Twitter up, and I'll be reading some of the best responses to it if they don't. <laughs> it is but, going to be glorious. It is going to yeah. be glorious if, if and when that happens. Um, but I mean, I think this year more so. I mean, because at the point yeah. in time, you still had Devontae. So yeah. it's like, okay, we're not as worried because Devontae is going to attract a lot of attention, which is going to make anybody behind him, if they, as long as they make the catch, they're going to be able to make some plays. You got an MVP quarterback right there. So we'll be okay with the wide receiver course. I didn't have a problem yeah. with them not selecting no. a wide receiver I that year. Either, I really but... didn't. It was fine. But this year, you don't have Devontae. You decided to trade him. And so that becomes imperative. You have to have that be one of your first two picks. It doesn't have to be the first, but as long as it's one of your first two picks, uh, you have to address that. You have to address it, not just for now, but especially for the future. You have to address that position. Yeah. And something in me is just telling me they're going to go defense. I, 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 I would love to see them go offensive tackle, but, you know, somebody on the line, but I just, I just think something within me is just telling me that they're going to go defensive for some reason. I, I just, I feel it in my gut. And I think the guy from Michigan that got hurt um, towards Achilles, I think that could be a route they go. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he fits the he fits the athletic profile um, that the Packers typically look for in the first round. Jair Alexander, athletic freak. Rashawn Gary, athletic yeah. freak. Uh, Darnell Savage, yeah. although he did not have a good year this past year, athletic freak. So he fits the mm-hmm. athletic profile that the Packers typically typically look for, and then. Uh, Devontae Wyatt, the tackle from Georgia, he's another guy that fits their athletic profile. And I'm for me, if you have Wyatt and you have Jordan Davis both on the both available at 22, I'm taking Wyatt because he he's 6'2, 304. He's a guy that can play against the run, he can play against the pass. With Jordan Davis, yes, he tested out of this world at the combine. Yeah. Perfect yeah. 10 race scorer. But the issue I have with him is how did that translate to the field? And he's a guy that didn't play a ton of snaps. He's a base tackle, a base defensive tackle. And how often do teams in the NFL play base defense anymore? So what's he going to be able to do if he has to be on the field for 50, 60 plays? 
is he going to be able to yeah. give the effort um, that he had? You know, he, his effort was questioned in college. Is he going to be able to get that effort in the NFL? Is that athleticism going to translate and pass? I don't exactly. know. I like. I think it yeah. does. And and you said the, the magic word translation. You know, how does it translate onto the field in the NFL? You could test out of this world in the combine, where you're not in pads and the helmet and all that other good stuff. You're just in shorts and under armor and whatever. But you have to have some of those skills and you have to be you have to be versatile, especially these days in the NFL, especially defensively, uh, because you're gonna be put in a lot of spots because a lot of teams don't play their base defense anymore. It's a lot of different looks, a lot of different things that you're gonna be asked to do. And I, I think the Packers are due to put somebody next to, to, to Kenny Clark down there. I mean, and give that man yeah. some help. He's just absorbing everything. Yeah. And I know TJ Slayton is a guy they're depending on to make another jump. Uh, the kid, the guy from Kansas city, they brought in, he's a guy that can, but if you can bring in, uh, and I would take Jordan Davis, if he's there, I just like why, uh, why it better. Uh, but if you can bring Wyatt in or you can bring Davis in, there's uh, Jones from UConn. You could bring him in. He's a he's kind of a Davis clone in his body type. But he's a guy that can get after the quarterback, big body, can play nose and disruptive. You can get one of those guys. What I'm happy about, and I know he had a solid year last year, but we're not playing uh, Dean Lowry as much anymore. And Dean Lowry is what he no. is. He's not – you know, he, yeah. he's being paid too much money to give you what he gives you. And I know they have him brought back. You don't have to play Tyler Lancaster anymore. And those are two guys. Yeah. That you're not winning a Super Bowl with Dean Lowry and Tyler Lancaster being your first two guys off the bench to, you know, to sub in for Kenny Clark or play next to Kenny Clark. You're just not. <laughs> you're just not. They got close. They got close. Yeah. But, but yeah, you, you definitely need more, especially for the value in which you gave them. Yeah, San Francisco in 2019, yeah, San Francisco 2019 season and the both the playoff and the regular season game is still in my head. And watching 49ers just <laughs> constantly attack the, the off-tackle spot, right where your edge guy should be, and Lancaster yeah. and Mario spending most of the time laying on the ground. <laughs> yeah. But imagine yeah. 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 Like they, were no, they were laying on the ground. So, Looking like fools yeah. on the ground. It, it was, um, go, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think they go offense, defense. If that's D lineman, wide receiver, or offensive tackle, defensive tackle, or linebacker, even, I don't know what that's going to look like. But I think they go offense, defense. I'm not just not sure what, what order they go in. I got, and I've been 0 for, 2, 0 for 2 now in the last two drafts. But I think this <laughs> is the year they finally take a wide receiver in the first round. I think. Gutenkus uh, <laughs> brings in another weapon, uh, and it might, it might be a Christian Watson or it might be a Olave, but I think he brings in another weapon to uh, give Lafleur uh, pieces so he can play chess rather than you know checkers or whatever else. Yeah, and like I said, they have to address that, not just for the now, but for the future. You're going to need playmakers uh, for the future, especially. I mean, you know, you're not going to have Rodgers for the rest of time. Yeah, no, no, it's just not going to happen. I, I, I foresee Rodgers realistically playing another two seasons, uh, and for he's sure. Ultimately, he's ultimately year to year at this point, too. Ultimately, yeah, he's ultimately year to year. So you have to get him playmakers for now, but you also have to have playmakers in place 
for whoever you decide will be his successor, whether it be Jordan Love or whether it be someone else. You need to continue to stockpile offensive weapons so you continue to steamroll through this lackluster division. Yeah. And definitely lackluster division, and that's basically the biggest reason why I felt that Rodgers would be back in Green Bay because you have your best chance to win the division every year in the NFC North as opposed to going out West, which is every division <laughs> is going to be difficult, except maybe the AFC. Well, you got Allen in the East in the AFC, but outside of that, you're going to have it's going to be pretty difficult to win in the West. Well, I guess the South too is easy, but he, he won't want to go any team in the South. So you it's going to be difficult to win in the West. It's going to be difficult to win in the in the AFC North, say in the NFC North, you're guaranteed a playoff spot. You're guaranteed a one or two seed. And, you know, you go from there. And it's even with the team, the way the team looks like right now, they're winning the division. I'm paying right now. If the season were to start today, they're still going to win that division. Why? Chicago's looks like they're rebuilding and who knows how much faith they have in Justin Fields moving forward, new coaching staff in there, new front office. Yeah. They, they might decide that Justin Fields isn't what they want, which I think he would be a good fit for the Shanahan offense, which I don't know if that's what uh, yeah. is going to bring with them as offensive coordinator. But does that staff feel he's the right fit? We don't know. Minnesota, Kirk Cousins, he's just the guy. And they're, they're a team that is needing a lot he's of like, uh, a, a lot of rebuilding. And then there's Detroit. Detroit yeah. wants to put kneecaps off. So... <laughs> I would be pretty sure that this team would win the division easily with how the roster looks right now. Yeah, Kirk Cousins is a guy making a lot of guaranteed money to just be a guy. Yeah. You know, it, that's yeah. it's just amazing the the career earnings he has for what he's given his teams. It's yeah. it's amazing. Being franchise take twice to do that to you. <laughs> and, Washington, I'll, I'll, I'll I guess, and I'm sure Washington would take him back now in a heartbeat over now having Carson Wentz. As quarterback, which that's the reason why uh, their wide receiver, he's been rumored to be in the market. That's why the Washington Commanders trading McLaurin makes absolutely no sense because you just spent capital and money to bring Carson Wentz in, and now you're going to trade one of his best, you know, one of his best players. You know, you you want to Carson Wentz is best when he's got a lot of talent around him, which he had an Indy. I still don't know what happened there, but he's best when you have a lot of talent around him and you don't ask him to do too much. He tried to do too much in Indianapolis, and we saw how that season ended. Washington wants to build pieces around him, and trading the top receiver on the team isn't going to help him at all. So it's just not. (laughs) Yeah, just that knee injury of his just – totally changed the trajectory of his career. It, it really did. And the fact that they didn't even need you talking Philadelphia to win a Super Bowl <laughs> and Nick Poles did it for you. It's, I mean, it, it just, it just changed the perception on him. And I, and I honestly think that that had a toll on him mentally that he's still trying to work through, honestly. Yeah, I, I can definitely agree with that. Um, and maybe this is the year he's finally back to, you know, I, he, he was, looked like he was going to be an MVP the year he went yeah. down with the injury. And it's yeah. not that he's been bad. He's been sacked a lot his last couple of time, years in Philly. He got beat up a lot. So mm-hmm. that didn't help trying to build him back up. And I don't even know what you have. Jonathan Taylor, 
build the offense around him. Give the ball to Jonathan Taylor 20, 25, 30 times a game and build you can all handle it. And Pittman can handle it. Receiver. He was Pittman was my favorite receiver coming out of um, that 2020 draft. I love Pittman. I wish the Packers yeah. got him. Um, with that said, my one of my least favorite receivers in that draft was T. Higgins, and we've seen how well that's looked for me. <laughs> I, I just didn't think he would transition to the NFL as good as he did, but he obviously did. So that's that lightning in the bottle that I was talking about. Yeah. And now you're in Cincinnati, one of the best receiving cores in all of football. Yeah. Chase Higgins, Boyd. They lost their tight end, but now they rebuilt the O-line. So they're going to be a dangerous team. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, so. they're going to be competing for the next decade. Well, probably should wrap this up. Uh, we've been – it's over an hour now we've been going. Didn't really even realize it was that long. Time flies, I guess. Yeah. But it's always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, any last words you want to say, uh, you know, th- things you want to, you know, promote before we before we end the show? Uh, you know, you see the the Twitter right down there at the bottom, right there at the two zero double. Go ahead, follow me there. Getting it double, yeah, going at the bottom too, like, right there. I like my, I like my tickers. I'm sorry, I like my tickers. <laughs> <laughs> tickers are nice, man. Um, but uh, I'll just say this too to Bucks fans everywhere: it's the playoffs. There's going to be drama. There's going to be moves made that may not work, but it's a series. There will be adjustments. Do not overreact. Just breathe. There we go. Brewer fans take that same advice. Just breathe. <laughs> yes. They're four three now. Okay. They're over five hundred. <laughs> there right. we go. Stop it already. <laughs> With that, thank you those for that are listening, watching, uh podcast the show will be posted uh probably tomorrow morning now, now that it's kind of getting to my bedtime. I need to go to bed. Um, With that, hope you all have a great rest of your weekend. I'll be back at you uh, next week sometime talking more NFL draft talk. So have a good night, everybody. I'll talk to you all later.